0: Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn.
1: And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas.
0: Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ.
1: I hope everybody had a great spring break. It's good to be back with you here on Lit as we dive into our next topic uh, which is administration to the sick, administration at the time of death, which is also known as last rites. And there's a few things we really want to unpack in this kind of dare I say primarily used by clergy, but also at times least used part of the prayer book, but yet has some really cool components, ailments, uh, ailments. We're not going to talk about it. we're going to talk about ailments in a minute. Elements and prayers that actually are very helpful at different stages of our life and in our spiritual journey and our journey of discipleship. So we're going to draw some of that out, but before we do that, um, Bryn is going to walk us through kind of the history of this rite and this, in this liturgy as it's developed. Uh, And I think this is really cool uh, because we don't always think about these connections. So Bryn, why don't you take us down the road of the history of ministration to the sick?
0: Yeah, well, I think, First of all, most of what we probably think of um, as last rites comes through like movies, when you know somebody is on their deathbed and and they call a clergy person to come and perform last rites, and uh, and so we think you know these are these are just prayers that you say like right before somebody is going to die. Um, and that used to be the case that, um, that we had one right that was called visitation of the sick and that, that, um, that service or office, uh, was originally, you know, prayers that were said for a sick person, assuming that they were going to die. And the reason that they changed over time was that, you know, with the, um, with the, the advances in medical science, people didn't die because they got sick. Um, and now lots of people get sick um, and don't die. They have full recoveries um, from infections because we have antibiotics, from injuries because we have you know really uh, amazing surgical procedures that, that people can um, undergo from cancer because we have um, amazing technologies You know, that involves surgery and radiation and chemotherapy um, and other uh, ways of of restoring people to health. Well, you know, before those things existed, if you got seriously sick, um, then you weren't expected to to make a recovery. And so there were just prayers for a sick person that assumed that we were going to pray for that person to be comforted in their suffering and to, to die knowing God's grace and presence with them. Well, so, you know, fast forward um, several hundred years um, and, you know, then people started recovering from these illnesses and they had to, to make some distinctions. So now in our prayer book, we have ministration to the sick. And then after that, we have ministration at the time of death. And ministration to the sick, Um, can be said for people in all sorts of states of of illness, whether they have, um, you know, a a bad cold. Um, Certainly these prayers have been said for many people who were sick with COVID. Um, And, you know, there is an assumption in here that we can pray uh, with this person for the same presence and grace and, and mercy that we prayed for, you know, 600 years ago for a person, Um, but that we also acknowledge that this person may well get better and we're going to pray for their healing. We're going to, their death at this time is not an inevitability and we're going to pray for their healing. Um, But now we have the separate service ministration at the time of death. That is used when when we're pretty sure that this person is is not going to recover and in fact is you know, is near death. So most of the time, and you can speak to this, I'm sure from your own experience, um, but most of the time, um, you know when when I'm called to do ministration at the time of death or or what we still kind of refer to as last rites, um, you know, the person usually dies within within the day or two after. Um, you know, my visit um, to the hospital or to the home or, or whatever that is. Um, but I just, I think that it's, it's interesting to look at the fact that the prayer book has updated itself to reflect a change in, in the world. Um, and, you know, the, the advances in medical science meant that, that we needed to, 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 distinguish our prayers um, for healing and then for, for when somebody's dying.
1: And I think that's so important is that just to remember, I know we've said this in different episodes, but just to draw out that idea of change, that the prayer book has developed and the church's understanding of things has developed over the years. And in this situation, really in connection with modern science and the medical community and medical developments, medical advancements, And that's such an important thing for the church to be tuned into in our own discernment and our own way to be pastorally present with people. Um, It would be weird if we just kind of put a wall up and said, I don't see any improvement in medicine. And I show up and I say prayers from 300 years ago to someone or with someone. And it makes it sound like the whole entire prayer that, well, you just die with dignity. You know, And in actuality, they're. You know, they just had their hip replaced because we have that mm-hmm. now. Infection has been removed and they're listening to this prayer going. They may think to themselves, that's a beautiful prayer, but I don't think I'm dying. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, so you know, there's been, you know, change is not bad. Change is not bad uh, when it's when it's thoughtful and we're discerning and we're listening and we're growing and we're learning through all the wonderful parts of God's creation. Now, the other side of this, um, the idea of healing, now that goes way, way back, even really, even pre Jesus, but I'm just going to go back to Jesus. Countless stories in scriptures. One of the biggest things Jesus does is heal folks. He heals people from blindness, he heals lepers, uh, people who are thrown out from society. He heals well, he heals a gentleman whose friends drop him down in the middle of one of his teachings in the middle of the roof, like rip the roof off the house. You know, it's one way to get into a a lecture series, a, a, I guess you could say a party a <laughs> celebration. If you can't get in the front door, just climb up on the roof, pop the little uh, roof hatch off, and just drop yourself down and in. You know, but so there's there's countless stories uh, of Jesus healing men, women, children all the above uh, from different ailments, Um, and it was a big part of what he commissioned, especially in the Gospel of Luke, he sends them out to heal, uh, to heal and proclaim the good news. Uh, So it's a big part of the Christian uh, ministry is healing, and healing can take on so many different forms. A lot of our minds generally when we hear healing go straight to physiological ailments, you know, diseases, diseases. or, or conditions that affect the physical body. And those are totally normal and appropriate to seek healing for. Um, and then there's, there's, I, I think there's an element to healing that's very spiritual that's captured in this rite. Uh, you know, one of the things I had a, a former parishioner really early on in my ministry note when we were studying this as part of a confirmation class, they noticed on the top of page 454 the word penitence, and then they noticed the confession. And they thought that was interesting, not because they didn't want to confess or be penitential. It was their minds were so focused when they saw ministration to the sick, they were thinking this whole entire section was going to be geared towards physiological, physical illnesses and laying on of hands and anointing for those conditions. And it was a powerful moment for this individual because they re- it reminded them that healing has can have and be directed towards physical ailments, but there's a really an important spiritual side and and confession and reconciliation and those, those activities are also part of the the healing that we're talking about um, in this rite. You know, we want to give a chance for the sick person to confess. If there's any in it, you'll see in the fine in the italics, if there is something that's troubling their conscience to give them space to let that go, because that allows that, that spiritual healing to start to happen. And so it's. So it's not just a one or the other, and it's not just about what I would call miraculous healing, uh, which a lot of times we will hear, especially today, in today's times, we'll hear, uh, you might hear, and I've heard it, and it's hard to hear when someone says, well, they prayed, but they just weren't faithful enough, so they didn't get healed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We don't actually know if they got, they probably did get healed, just not in the way that we always want, right? There's a a I want, and there's a what is going to happen. (laughs) <laughs> you know, what's mm-hmm. in God's plan, uh, for, for our lives. And, and I've seen healing take many forms that don't involve the miraculous mm-hmm. physiological healing. Um, I've seen incredible, uh, healing stories in my ministry, um, and heard plenty from other clergy that'll just mm-hmm. drop you to your knees and, in great Thanksgiving for a God who loves us so much. Um, But in none of those stories was the person miraculously healed from their physical ailment. So I think you just have to kind of hold that intention and not fall into that trap. One of the things you have to acknowledge, I think, you know, in in my own life, so I had, so using the COVID example that Bryn mentioned, I had COVID in December of 2020, very beginning of the month, entered, entered December with COVID, prayed these prayers, particularly the ones on uh, ones on um, 461. So there's a great section of prayer starting on 458 for us to pray on behalf of somebody who might be sick. Now, of course, if you're sick, you can use those prayers as well. You can adapt them as as accordingly. But I used a lot of the prayers on 461, just dealing with my own anxiety around what's next. You know, mm-hmm. what's next in the course of this illness, a very new illness to to the human frontier. it been, you know, I was stuck with what I'd heard. And I, you know, I realized though that there was a possibility that my physical body would succumb to this disease and that I would move on to the next life. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that was in my mind and that, you know, that can cause, that can trouble you some.
0: Oh, yeah. And in my
1: case, it was, Like, have I done everything I need to do? Like, am I in good place? You know, so I really did a lot of work during that illness to write myself. uh, And these prayers were incredibly helpful. And of course, in the back of my mind, of course, in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to be healed physically from this disease and would like to live to see my children grow up. You know, and I was very tuned into that. And I realized that that may happen. And as the illness progressed, I realized that was a stronger possibility. But also was acutely aware later in the illness that that was my own desire and that I needed to, to really come, kind of come, as they say in the desert tradition, I had to learn how to stay in the present moment and trust that moment, even as anxious as I was. And I found in this roundabout story, I found these prayers very helpful to just grounding myself in the fact that accepting that I was sick, accepting that I really had no control over the outcome. I mean, there are certain things I could do to help, and there are certain things I could do to hurt, but overall, I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, and I had to be in that moment, and I was after some strong work, Um, and this section of the prayer book was incredibly helpful for me, and I have to admit that was the first time, Bren, the first time that I'd ever really exercised extensively this section of the prayer book for myself versus Mm -hmm. for somebody else. Yeah. Which was an interesting revelation for my own personal ministry in life.
0: Yeah, we're used to praying these for other people and maybe not so much in in praying them for ourselves. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you that you touched on was reconciling ourselves to to God and to God's will for us. And that's one of the things that we pray for, you know. Yes, we um well, let me back up. When we pray, we don't exactly know what's happening. Like we're told that we're supposed to pray. Um, we we pray for ourselves. We pray on behalf of others. We pray for people we don't even know. We pray for all sorts of things, we don't exactly know what happens. Like, is it effective? Is it um is it changing something? Are our prayers changing something? We don't exactly know. And so, And so I think, you know, one, we pray for, we do pray for what we want. And so we, we absolutely pray for, you know, complete healing. Um, You know, I had a, I had a diagnosis of, of melanoma, of skin cancer um, a little over a year ago, and absolutely I prayed for complete healing from that, um, that, that I would be completely healed from the cancer that it would be removed that I would never have it come back um you know and a year later everything seems really good so you know that seems like a, a a success um but we also pray for restoration to wholeness and that wholeness I think is that healing can take a lot of different forms and maybe maybe what that healing looks like is acceptance um that we don't have. Complete control over ourselves. Um, in fact, we have very little control over the state of our our mortality. Um, you know, which is why we're we're talking about this in the season of Lent, um, the time when we really spend some real energy facing our mortality and thinking about these things. Um, and you know, like you talked about, um, there's a certain amount of acceptance that that we do pray for. Uh, you know, so yeah, we pray for complete healing and that's totally appropriate, but also we pray for the grace that will allow us to accept whatever it is that comes knowing that we will never be separated from the love of God. Um, and you know, before I, before I get off my, uh, soapbox here, uh, want to just point out too, like what you were, you know, talking about, um, you know, and uh, with this kind of acceptance and and hoping that you would be healed, um, but wanting to accept that, um, that you might not be, uh, you know, I think about Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane, praying, you know, to, to the Father, let this cup pass from me, uh, but, you know, but not my will, but yours. Um, so, you know, I think Jesus gives us, uh, the perfect example of that. Like, if I can, if I can avoid this suffering, please, God, let me avoid it. But if not, then let me do your will that like, no matter what, let me do your will.
1: And that's always, I think that's always the great, that's the great human conundrum. I think, um, is, is is a lot is, is learning. And, you know, the desert talks about this, right? The, the ascetical formation of really focusing yourself on where God's calling you, your unique call, you're aligning your will, if you will, with what God's will is for your life. Um, and it's great that you use that story from the garden because that's exactly what, you know, St. Macarius uses, Abba Poman, uh, all down that desert tradition. Um, use the uh, the 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 idea of Jesus in the garden and him saying you know I, I understand what lay before me and I don't necessarily want to do that unless that is what your will is for me to do and of course that's ultimately our salvation is in the actions of what entail following that um one of the cool things though about this that I that I love in this um, healing liturgy is that I get to touch and that's probably been one of the hardest things during COVID as a minister is I haven't been mm-hmm. able to touch. I haven't been able to be with people. That, that door is now opening for me uh, since I'm someone who's and uh, someone who's been vaccinated now that there are some more possibilities for me to actually be with people uh, following safe guidelines that will slowly allow touch to come back, which is really cool because Uh, One of the things we do when we gather is we can lay hands on and we can anoint with oil. Jeopardy factoid, the oil for healing can be blessed by priests. Unlike chrism, which is the oil we use in baptism, must be consecrated or blessed by a bishop. Mm -hmm. Um, We can bless oil for healing. So we have a couple options when we're with somebody after we kind of say these prayers and kind of dig into the what could be the physical, physical healing they're seeking, uh, some of the spiritual components come along with that, some of the anxiety around uh, unfinished business, um, pains, hurts, anger, frustration, some of that stuff we talked about in terms of confession and working on that with them. We get to a point in the liturgy where we can anoint and lay hands. And that takes us right back in my mind, um, very much back to what Jesus was doing and What he asked the disciples to do when he actually modeled touching. I mean, for the for, for one of the great stories from scripture, Jesus spits in some mud and makes some paste and puts it on the eyes, and and then they wash it away and he can see. You know, Jesus was very hand literally very hands-on um, with the way that he went about healing. And and the disciples were encouraged to follow that. And then, of course, all of us as the church has instilled this in ministers in particular down the line to go and continue that wonderful work. And I love the idea of touching because at the very minimum level, it reminds us, it reminds the person who's troubled, who's sick, who's, who's dealing with something that there's another human being here. We're here.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're, we're here together. If only for that moment, there's touch. And I know some of the folks I've laid hands on because of their diseases and their struggles they weren't able to be touched. So the fact that I could lay hands on them or hold their hand and was willing to do that meant the world to them because for that moment there was a connection to the mm-hmm. I would like to say to the body of Christ in our in our moment there. Absolutely. And then by putting oil, uh, you know, a lot of times we will do some combination, some priests do more, but at the minimum, we'll do oil on the forehead. Some of us do oil on the forehead, oil on the back of our hands, on the palms of our hands, you know, as we say different prayers. Um, But we'll say, and this is in the prayer book on 456, this is a beautiful statement about that oil and what it reminds us of. We say, as you are outwardly anointed with this holy oil, so may our Heavenly Father grant you the inward anointing of the Holy Spirit. But that oil reminds us that God is very much with us, that God is there, that God is anointing us, uh, anointing you as well. Um, and it's not just the clergy person, that, that God is also doing marvelous things inside of you, um, even if they're not fully visible to you at the moment, or you're just, you know, you're just kind of in your You're in your healing process, you're in your recovery process, you're in your struggles, wherever you are, there's miraculous things and wonderful things going on inside you. And when we lay hands and anoint you, we want to connect those pieces together uh, in a very powerful way, I think. Um, And I will say too, when it comes to laying on of hands, we usually, a lot of us also, when we know that we're nearing the end, that whatever's been, someone's been struggling with at that time of death. I personally lay hands on folks there as well. Again, connection, body of Christ, the the veil in that moment may be thin between heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. And we're connected with the larger communion of saints as we, as we commend. And that's what happens. That's the change, you know, administration to the sick. We're asking prayers for healing. We're, we're lifting up, you know, the most noblest of prayers uh, for this person to be healed. And we get to the point where we realize that maybe the way we hope they'd be healed to be fully with us in this earthly plane isn't going to happen. We get to the final moments and we commend. So it's no longer about the same, it's not the same kind of healing. We're commending them into that communion of saints to, to God, back to God, God who gave that person to us. We begin the work of commending them uh, with great peace and dignity back to God in our prayers. Uh, but I, I love the connection points, though, between what we do with someone that we're, who's sick, that we're at their bedside or at their home as they're trying to overcome this illness, the connection point there to when we're at someone's bedside and we know that God's going to call them home at some point soon. We just We just know that this is going to happen. Um, we may not know exactly when, but we know it's going to happen and we're there, and we say some very special prayers that are reminiscent of healing. Um, but it's a very different purpose as we as we kind of let go, uh, dare I say let go and let God uh, really into that in a very particular way that we are not able to accomplish for them or on behalf of them, that God moves in a special way there.
0: Um, well, I think we can we can uh, wrap up uh, with uh, the words of this prayer. So, this prayer is in our prayer book at the time of death on page four hundred sixty-five, and this is um, a, a prayer that we say, like, really either right before or right after somebody dies, um, and it just it gives a really beautiful vision um, for what we believe, and again. We say this a lot, but what we pray is what we believe, and and this gives us a real vision for that. We say, into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive them into the arms of your mercy. Into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light, Amen. Um, and that—that that is what we—that is what we pray um, that we're all going to to find ourselves in. That we will find ourselves in that glorious company of the saints in light when that—and um, that we get a, a, a sort of glimpse of that at different times in our liturgy, and certainly. Um, when we get to be with people at the time of their death. Um, and that's powerful.
1: It is powerful. That's a great place for us to stop. And also a great connection for next week. Next week, we're going to pick up with the burial liturgy. And you're going to hear and see that prayer again. Uh, and it'll be, it's it's a great way to make these kind of, to see this, the prayers of the prayer book move us through these different moments of life. Mm-hmm and the celebration of life and death. Um, uh, so join us next week as we dive into the burial, uh, the burial liturgy. And then I believe we're going to have a special coming up as we talk about Holy Week, which is has come upon us already. Uh, so stay tuned. We're so glad for your listenership and we will yeah, see wow. you next time. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu, We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.